0: chapter 1 verse 1 the oracle of Nineveh the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite now this is an interesting book unique in that there is one entire book of the Bible Nahum devoted to the judgment of one heathen city Nineveh seems uh, a bit surprising perhaps to us Um, There was one other book in the prophets that was devoted to Nineveh as well. What book was that? Jonah. This is written uh, close to 100 years later. And uh, what you see is that the repentance Nineveh had accomplished in Jonah has long since gone by the wayside and Nineveh is going to have to be destroyed. Um, This is the only prophetic work that is described as a book. Perhaps this is an indication that Nahum was not a preacher. He was a writer. In many of the prophets, we see various indications. They actually preached their messages. They also recorded them, or someone recorded them, but they preached them. But apparently, Nahum, this is more just a written message. This is the book of the vision that he
1: has. Do you know what the word Nahum means? Comforter.
0: Yes. Nahum is uh, full of comfort. That's all we know about him. He's an Al-Kashat. But we don't know anything about his family, anything about his profession, anything about his achievements, anything about his views. He's just got a message from God that he delivers. Of course, that's really all all that matters. It's not really that important, all the details of his life. What's important is what he has to say that God gave him to say. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, in this book. Do you have comments or questions by way of the introduction today? (laughs) 2 to
2: 8. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries. And he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And a whirlwind and storm is his way. And clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The blossoms of Lebanon wither. Mountains quake because of him. And the hills dissolve Indeed, the earth is upheaved by His presence, the world and all the inhabitants in it. Who can stand before His indignation? Who can endure the burning of His anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken up by Him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who take refuge in Him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of its sight and will pursue his enemies
0: into darkness. (laughs) This may be the Oracle of Nineveh, but who is this part of the book about? God. God. This is primarily a book about God, which is what makes this so interesting. It was just a book about Nineveh itself. We probably wouldn't care a whole lot about it. Uh, Nineveh has long since passed off the scene. But it really describes God, and he starts out talking about the character of God. What do you see about God? He's jealous? jealous. What do you mean by that? We, we We only need one God, not another God, and He wants us to serve Him. That's exactly right. God rejects all rivals, and He expects exclusive allegiance. He wants to maintain His unique role. God will not permit us to serve rivals. He's a jealous God. What else do you see about God here? He's a God who brings wrath upon those who deserve it. He takes vengeance on his adversaries. He doesn't let the oppressors go unpunished. That's a a worthy characteristic of God. We might think of this as being sort of negative. You know, you want to keep this hush-hush. But not at all. A great God is a God of justice who punishes those who deserve it, punishes those who are wicked. That's exactly what you'd expect in a God like this. He is a venge, a, a, an avenging God. He, he brings wrath upon his enemies. Um, but there's something that's rather surprising after you've read verse 2 and verse 3. What surprises you in verse 3? He's slow to anger. <laughs> Why would God be slow to anger? Well, think about this a little bit. Um, who could afford to be slow and anger? Yeah? Think about a type of person that can afford to be slow in anger. He completes the sentence by saying he's powerful. Can a powerful person afford to be slow in anger? Why? Because they have power. They can handle the situation whenever they choose to. It's not gonna run out. Yes. An insecure person had better take advantage of any any angle they get. They better, they better, anytime they get the chance, they've got to you know execute their, their power. But but a powerful God is not insecure. He can wait to punish because he knows he'll be able to whenever he chooses to. He won't run out of an opportunity and the enemy get too strong. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I mean uh, what if a, a, a really powerful guy is wrestling with a little scrawny guy. Well, if you wrestle with a little scrawny guy. You can kind of toy with him. You let the little scrawny guy, you know, practically pin you, and you just upend him and you know, put him on. you know whatever. You don't dare do that if you're wrestling wrestling an equal or somebody even stronger than you. You gotta, you better take every every opening. So God is secure. He's so powerful. He doesn't have to just, you know, abruptly punish. He, he can wait. But, don't mistake that. He will by no means leave the guilty until unpunished. It's not that he's not going to punish. Certainly not that he's reluctant to execute that role. It's just that he doesn't have to do that in an impulsive kind of a manner. Uh, you know, he doesn't immediately respond. But, he'll respond. And he responds powerfully. <coughs> God, we got action. So we're looking at the in verse two and the first part of verse three. We look at His qualities, but then we look at what He does. What kind of things does He do? He wanted to all quit the wicked. Yes. So, what what kind, what kind of things do you see God doing? What how does He depict God? <laughs> see God like what? The end of verse three. <laughs> Yeah, like a tornado wow he's powerful this is what he does that's not just an abstract idea God's a God who acts and he rebukes the sea and it dries up He dries up everything the mountains quake the hills dissolve the earth just, just totally in an uproar this is what God is able to do uh, and nobody can withstand that who can stand before his indignation who can endure the burning of his anger uh, God is a God that. No human power, not even the Assyrian Empire, which Nineveh was the capital, is going to be able to withstand God. God, when his wrath comes, it destroys, it consumes. God is such a powerful, mighty God, right? Um, there in the latter part
3: of verse 3 when it says, and the clouds over the dust so to speak, is that just showing that um, that he's so high <laughs> and mighty that, I mean, he's, you he know the clouds are so high above us, he's
0: still higher than us. Certainly. Is that yeah, certainly. Yeah, God is... <laughs> God is very exalted and very able to do anything he wants to. <laughs> Comments and questions through verse 6. It's great to see God. We really need that vision. If, we were, if we we're thinking about God more, it'd be good for us. You also see the other side of God in verse 7. What's God like? Good. He's good. He's a blessing to his people. A stronghold a refuge, and as a blessing to his people, he destroys their enemies. You know, when God's wrath is poured out upon his enemies, that's bad for the enemies, it's good for his people. It's both a blessing and a, and a curse. And uh, he does destroy his enemies. He makes an overwhelming flood, a complete end of them, pursues them into the into the darkness. Um, and that's exactly what he did with Nineveh. God would pursue Nineveh into the darkness. For centuries, no one even knew where Nineveh had existed. They knew Nineveh had been there somewhere, but it was so obliterated, there were centuries in which nobody even knew the site in which Nineveh was, even a couple of centuries after it was destroyed. Nobody could find it. God pursued him into the darkness. So, when you think about a book like Nahum, don't just think about Nineveh. Think about the God who destroyed Nineveh. That's what this book is really showing us. And that's what we need to constantly think about. Comments and questions through verse 8. Shame. You I
2: know, like the contrast in, in, in verses 2 to 6 God, You God that you would almost see it. You know, even though it says you know, he is slow to anger. You see this God that is so powerful. and He seems like just almost like an overwhelming God. But yet, in seven and eight, talks about how the Lord is good and how He can be a stronghold. He's not just one to lash out and to punish and punish. Which is what you might get the idea of in verses two to six, but also in in the context of that's only if you're against Him, you're for Him, and you're with Him. I should say, He's a stronghold to those that that are for Him. So you see this contrast between this good God, who is a just God who is willing to punish, but doesn't want that. And, and it's a loving and tender God, which is not the same picture you get in verses 2 to 6. So it's a nice contrast to fill in all that God is, and the opposite side of, the, the opposite side of the, where do you stand, against the Lord or for Him, it depends on what, what version of
1: Him you will see. Your point. Amen. Other comments? So man, it's really cool. Um, uh, in verse 6, you know, His wrath is poured out like a fire. Anytime I think of fire, um, Well, I'm sure most of us think this, you know, when you think of a forest fire or something, just everything is completely wiped out, everything is gone. Um, I don't know, it's kind of always, it's fearful because that's what he says he's going to do to his enemies. And I don't know, I feel that every time that we sin, every time that we're um, going against his will, then we, in a sense, become like his enemies, and we, in a sense, are going to be... Burned up and consumed in that fire. You know we're going to be pruned and cast into the fire, or we're just going to be left and uh, we're going to be completely destroyed. And that fire is I don't know, just something that is useful because it will completely wipe out any wrongdoings that you have. And it's just something you really have to think about. You know, do you want? Do you really want that? Is sinning really worth being, you know, purged with fire? Good point. <coughs> Very good. Other thoughts?
0: So do you think he just kind of like said, like he talk, starts out like with this wrath picture and then he goes like in seven and eight, he's just trying to encourage the invites, to turn to him? Or maybe try picture. Or maybe to try to encourage his people that he's a good God to them and wrathful to the Ninavites. Was this written to Israelites? Or was this written to the people of Nineveh? Well, I think it's just written (laughs) probably to his people if you had to choose between those. I don't know that the Ninevites read this. And generally the prophets, even if they have a prophecy about a nation, it's mostly for the benefit of their own people. We need to They're the people who are going to read this and see what this shows about God when he punishes Nineveh. Okay. Um, what we see is now a section that goes back and forth between destruction and salvation so would somebody read 1-9 to 2-2 two two.
3: Where you divide against the Lord he will make a complete end of it stress will my life up twice like tangled thorns like those who are drunken with their drink they are consumed as stubble completely withered From you has gone forth one who plotted evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor, thus says the Lord. Though they are full of strength, and likewise many, even so they will be cut off and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no longer. So now I will break his yoke bar from upon you, and I will tear off your shackles. The Lord has issued a command concerning you. Your name will no longer be perpetuated. I will cut off idol and image from the house of your God that will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. Behold, on the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace. Celebrate your peace, O Judah, pay your vows, for never again will the wicked one pass through you. He is cut off completely. The one who scatters has come up against you. Man the fortress, watch the road, strengthen your back, summon all your strength. For the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Even though devastators have devastated them, they destroyed their divine
0: So you see kind of this alternation. Alter. he first I think that's the right word alteration, alternation Uh, I just made that one up but he starts out to Nineveh speaking to them and then he speaks to his people and then back to Nineveh, back to his people back to Nineveh, back to to his people he's doing the same thing but it looks different depending on which side of the coin you are so in 9 to Nineveh he says whatever you devise against the Lord he will make a complete end of it they were not stumbling into sin. They were actively plotting and purposing to be against God. You can see that in verse 11 as well. Well, he says, <laughs> he will make the complete end of it. Distress will not rise up twice. I think the idea of that is God only needs one battle to wipe them out. It won't take two. <laughs> uh, that's how powerful the Lord is. And he's going to To uh, consume them Um, it really doesn't make much sense to try to plot against God. Uh, It doesn't make much sense to be a wicked counselor. Much better Isaiah 11's wonderful, Isaiah 9's wonderful counselor. This wicked counselor who plots to try to go against God. That's stupid advice and it'll never work. So this is God telling Assyria, telling telling, uh, Nineveh It, you might as well forget your uh, plans against me. I'll wipe you out and I'll only take one battle to do it. Comments and questions through 11. In 12 and 13, now, now he's speaking of Nineveh as Neveh. And he's talking to his people. He says, though they are at full strength and likewise many, even so they will be cut off and pass away. Now, um, God does not have to wait until his enemy um, degenerates into a weakened state to be able to conquer him. You know, sometimes, you know, when he just you know broke his arm, you know, when he just ran a marathon, you know, then I'll work. No, God can take him full strength. You know, the the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You know, I mean, sometimes in the prophets, God will say, "Hey, make sure you arm yourself. Make sure you prepare well. Get everybody ready. Uh, you know, kind of like put up your dukes and fight like a man. You know, once you get all ready, and God will bring them down in their strongest state." Uh, he says, "Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no longer." So, God has used the Assyrians to afflict His people, but when He conquers them, then He won't afflict them through the Assyrians. He's going to break his yoke bar. He's going to tear off the shackles. So God's going to cut off their,
1: their armies. He's going to cut off the, the weapons that they use against
0: his people. Um, that's a blessing to Israel when Assyria finally goes down the tubes. Comments and questions through 13. Yes, that'
4: Sorry, I just have a
0: question going back. In verse 11? Yes. From you can one who plotted evil against the Lord and with his counsel. Is that just in general that that kind of a person has come here, or is it specific? I don't know of a specific. So I'm assuming it's more you're the kind of people who plot this rebellion against God. Other thoughts? So do you think even in, like, I guess in the world back then, when you were plotting against another nation, did they have that mindset that they were going up against their God as well? Yes, I think they would. Yeah, I think think you do have that. Because they all thought of the various gods as kind of the ones who would fight for that nation. And when they would beat the nation, they think they'd whip the God. Their God would whip the other nation's god which is why it's so bad when God has to bring his own people down it will make the nations think that their gods were tougher than Israel's God sometimes God would spare Israel just for his own reputation's sake
4: Adam. I think that's part of the context of why this book is here you kind of mentioned the, the uniqueness of, of this one book that has to do with this foreign city where Israel, having gone into captivity to the Assyrians, uh, has this perhaps impression that their God was not strong enough. Uh, But here we see that that God has been in control and is going to hold uh, Nineveh, is going to hold the Assyrians accountable for even what he used them. To accomplish, and this is not the only time we see God doing that. And so, I think even in our lives, when sometimes you know we feel God has been defeated, whether it's through uh, something that we've prayed about that didn't have the outcome that we were expecting, uh, or or just a general defeatist attitude that sometimes we can slip into, uh, that we realize that that God is in control. You know here. As a nation, Israel really never heard from again. But God—that was God—was in control of that very thing, and here we see the destruction that is coming upon Nineveh from God Himself, not as, not so much as a fault of the <coughs> inferiority of the gods of
0: Nineveh, but the superiorities of the God of Israel. Definitely, yeah, all through the Bible. God's the one in control, and when it looks like He's not, he is. <laughs> we need to understand that. It's comforting and also fearful depending on what side of that uh, we're. Other thoughts. In 14, we're back to speaking against Nineveh. The Lord has issued a command concerning you. this is Nineveh. And really, it goes back to Adam's point to some extent everything that happens happens ultimately with the Lord's command when God issues the command that's the same as it happening when it's all said and done your name it's going to be obliterated your idol, image house of your gods cut off you a grave you see that it's complete destruction nobody's going to survive to carry on their name Or to perpetuate their ideology. And uh, don't you love the last line of verse 14? You know, uh, contrary to the modern emphasis on self-esteem, Scripture tells the king of Syria, you're contemptible. You're worthless. You're a loser. Uh, You know, God is uh, not into uh, inappropriate compliments and uh, here Assyria is just anti-God he says to the king you're nothing and your whole nation's going down comment? Hey, king James says I will plead your grave for your vile yeah your vile you're contemptible same idea <coughs> and then in 15 back to Israel because the destruction of Assyria is good news. You know, you've got the feet of the one bringing good news, announcing peace. Um, And and now this is cause for celebration. For God's people to pay their vows. They had undoubtedly made vows during the years of oppression. Saying to God, "If if you'll deliver us from Assyria, we will. Whatever. He says, now it's time. Celebrate and pay your vows because never again well the wicked one passed through you he's cut off completely God is going to totally destroy the Assyrians that's exactly what he did and uh, we know that Nahum was probably written certainly no more than 50 years before Nineveh's destruction could have been quite a bit less than that but no more than 50 years before and uh, so you know Assyria, Nineveh They were going down the tubes, and there wasn't ever going to be a time that the Assyrians were going to be a problem for Israel again. So, we're back and forth. To Nineveh, to to Israel. To Nineveh, to Israel. Same event, different meaning for the two sides. To one, we're back to Assyria. Um, The one who scatters has come up against you. Man the fortress, Watch the roads, strengthen your back, summon all your strength. This is back to Nahum and God through Nahum, sort of uh, almost taunting. the Assyrians prepare for the battle. You know come on guys, get strong, get your guys in place, you know, get get all your strength together. you know, come on, you get get, get it all ready <laughs> because uh, because the Lord can handle Nineveh capacity, and then back to his people in verse two. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob, like the splendor of Israel. Even though devastators have devastated them and destroyed their vine branches, God is able to bless them again. So this is the really the last thing in Nahum uh, that you would say is positive who has spoken to his people. The rest of this really is going to be, you know, judgment against Assyria. So this is kind of the last reference to the positive effect that Assyrian destruction has on God's people here in chapter 2, verse 2. Comments and questions to this point, you um, know, um Something I kind of thought, like, I guess when I kind of read it, like, it kind of made me think like he was talking to Israel to just kind of like, you know, strengthen yourself, because, and then verse 2, he's kind of like, because, you know, you're going to be restored or whatever. Or does that seem like... That language be more towards Assyria. I think it's more towards Assyria. That's what I think. I think we're still in this back and forth business, and uh, I think he's to Assyria. But you I, you might be able to see it either way. I wouldn't. Uh, so sometimes it's uh, interpretive trying to come up with what parts so. what. Be good, guys.
1: Be careful to go along with what you're saying about uh, uh, verse 1 in chapter 2, you know, just get ready you man, many horses. you see that um, uh, the same similarity in Amos how he's going to destroy the citadels that they have built up and not even the strongest warrior, the fastest man the people on horses are going to be able to escape his wrath because it's time for them to suffer from what they've done
0: yes, That's that's a common theme the prophets often talk about how there's not a way to withstand God's judgments. What do you do? You can't get tough enough. You can't run fast enough. You can't be well enough equipped. Other thoughts? Alright, how about 3 to 13?
3: mighty